This episode of The Naked Truth is brought to you by City of Angels, LA's premier West Coast swing event. Join us April 11th to the 14th in sunny Los Angeles, California, for a weekend of workshops, competition, and social dancing with some of the best instructors, DJs, and dancers around, including Jordan and Tatiana, Ben and Victoria, Kyle and Sarah, Benji Schwimmer, and yours truly. Competitions include Jack and Jill, Strictly Swing, Rising Star, Classic, and Showcase. And you'll get to see special performances by Jordan and Tatiana and the JT Swing team. Weekend passes are available and include all workshops, Friday night's glow party, and a Saturday night breakfast buffet. And our listeners can get $10 off a weekend pass by going to thenakedtruthwcs.com forward slash COA. That's thenakedtruthwcs.com forward slash COA, as in City of Angels. Don't miss out on all the fun. Buy your passes today. And now, on with the show. Welcome to The Naked Truth, real talk about West Coast Swing. My name is Deborah, And I'm Eric. And today we are going to talk about building, organizing, and running a local dance community. On this show, we often talk about the broader West Coast Swing community, but for most of us, our entry into this world and the place where we spend the most time learning, dancing, and connecting with others is in our local dance community. To discuss some of the issues around local dance communities and to share their own perspectives, we've invited a few community organizers to join us. Our first guest is from St. Paul, Minnesota, and he has been dancing and competing in West Coast Swing for 11 years. He started becoming more involved with his local community by DJing and hosting practices and social dances after classes at a local studio. Some years later, when that studio closed, he started up Swing a Soda as a venue for lessons and social dances. He also started hosting two annual workshop weekends in the area. And in case you didn't know, he has a fear of slip and slides. Please welcome to the show, Hugh Lee. Our second guest has been a professional instructor in the Kansas City area for nearly 10 years and has been traveled as an instructor and competitor across the United States and around the world. His most recent accomplishments include winning the 2017 North American Swing 16 Grand Championships and placing second in the Showcase Division at the 2018 Open with esteemed Patty Vaux. He loves to teach the joy and connection of dance to those seeking growth, engagement, and fun. And he is the founder of Evolve Your Dance, which is run out of Melange Dance in Mission, Kansas. Please welcome to the show, Jesse Lopez. Our third guest started dancing in 2013 when he learned West Coast Swing in Boston, Massachusetts. He began teaching, DJing, and co-organizing dances in 2015. And in 2016, he started XGen Boston, a source for locating all West Coast Swing in the greater Boston area. In 2017, he joined Dancing Feats, which has been hosting West Coast Swing Dances since 1989, and as of January this year, he is now its sole owner. By day, is a full-time software engineer, and you'll always see him out dancing wearing some kind of superhero apparel. Please welcome to the show, Kyle Patton. We will start by asking each of our guests a few standard questions before we open it up for a broader discussion. So let's begin with kind of the most basic question. Tell us about your community, how it got started, and your role in that. Let's start with Hugh. Cool. Um, so my community is actually significantly older than my history in this dance. I believe it started in 1983, the larger uh, Twin Cities community that is. So this was the Minnesota West Coast Swing Dance Club. Um, and then a handful of years from that came out the Twin Cities Rebels. and then. Um, 
probably shortly before I started dancing West Coast Swing, there was a studio in town called Social Dance Studio run by uh, Joy Davina, who um, now lives in the Portland area. Um, anyway, so that's where I got my start with West Coast Swing. Um, and so they would do these classes on Mondays and afterwards it would, there would be a 30 minute like open practice session. And it was typically 30 minutes because, uh, <clears throat> the instructors and staff <laughs> all wanted to go home at the end of their day. Um, so as I started getting more and more into the dance and I, I just kept wanting it to keep going. Um, I asked if I could start running that social. Um, so I feel like that's kind of representative of my role in this community. Um, that yes, you know, there's instructors, um, and there's DJs and whatnot, but I feel like I am more of an organizer and a person who wants to create opportunity for dance. Um, you know, like whatever extra opportunities for people to get together and connect, um, and, you know, whether it's practicing the dance or just enjoying it, um, that's generally always been my main goal. Um, I am a web developer uh, for my day job. So dance as a business to me has never really been the thing. So um, that's the position I took in town. And I started uh, hosting other dances and, you know, would occasionally jump in and help teach a class if needed. Um, but I was more of the create fun opportunity. Um, so then a handful of years ago, when Joy decided that she wanted to close the studio, studio and uh, relocate um, to Portland, I realized that there was going to be this gap. Um, you know, we were, we were going to lose something. And so I decided to open up and, or start up Swing a Soda to create an opportunity for um, generally younger dancers uh, to have a place to go dance, but a place where people can learn, um, more regularly and I guess be more connected with a, the group of dancers who probably travel more consistently. Um, so we started up Swing a Soda, me with a handful of, you know, other, uh, Twin Cities dancers. And, you know, we've been doing weekly classes and dances afterwards ever since. Awesome. Thanks. How about you, Jesse? Uh, excellent. The <clears throat> Jazz and Swing has been a, a big part of Kansas City, uh, just like its barbecue from, from its uh, various beginnings. And um, in the early 90s, we had a lot of interaction with uh, the St. Louis Rebels, one of our only neighboring dance communities. And between that and the local ballroom studios, there was uh, the existence of a style of West Coast Swing. Um, but in the early 2000s, one of those local studios uh, brought Jordan and Tatiana to the area. And um, they they taught some workshops. People got really excited. They really enjoyed the style of swing that was being presented and started um, dancing differently. Uh, a performance team was started called the Swingsters at Louis and Company, and they they attracted a lot of, of younger dancers, vibrant dancers who were doing some of the bigger lifts, and and um, that's that's where I ended up joining uh, when I was in my sophomore year at, at William Jewell College, 
And um, that connected me to the studio. It became an internship. Um, and the scene's leaders had a transition of family um, where there, some of, some children were being born and they had to take a step back. Um, and so I was able to become, um, to kind of fill that gap and, and step into uh, some of the organizational side of where we were losing because of my connection <clears throat> to the studio and the swingsters. Um, then when that studio switched over, I uh, management, I was able to branch out and create Evolve Your Dance. Um, and that came with a Thursday night swing dance opportunity. And that's really been the hub of Kansas City's West Coast Swing for the last four years, almost five years now. Um, but very recently, super excited to let you guys know, Midwest or otherwise, we now have two weekly West Coast Swing Nights. Um, that's a big, big jump for us. Uh, some of my original students started a Tuesday night dance uh, at the end of last year that they've had a lot of success with, about 10 minutes south of us. So now we're dancing twice a week, guys. We're killing it. Um, that's but awesome. <laughs> that's, that's kind of where Kansas City is. We have somewhere between uh, 80 and 110 members on any given night. Um, and are, are working our, our best to add new to it. That's been our journey. All right. Kyle? So our, um, our community has been, um, at minimum 30 years old from what I remember. Um, Neil Klein started teaching, um, monthly West Coast swing classes, um, at a company he named Dancing Feats. Mm -hmm. And so that was going on for a while. Eventually a group uh, named Dance Boston, uh, which involved Bill Cameron and John Schimmel, um, started up in the Boston area. And those are the two kind of big names, um, in West Coast swing for Boston for a while. And things, um, things continued to develop for a while. We had a really solid community in Boston. Um, eventually, um, Neil Klein, who was a professor at Lesley University, decided that he wanted to start a West Coast Swing academic class. And so he did that, and he wanted to require these students to, um, to go out dancing, to experience social dancing while they were That's learning. To get credit for it. Yeah. Right. And so this is part of their grade. The problem was that um, the couple of venues that they could social dance at, they weren't super T accessible based on where Leslie was. Um, and most people don't have cars in the Boston area. So he decided to start his own dance and that was called the Dancing Fools. So it started in Fire and Ice. And at first it was like six dancers or so for a while. Um, and that dance eventually evolved into one of the biggest dances in the area, um, having, you know, 100 to 120 people no longer at the fire and ice, which we could have never grown that much. Right. But I ended up getting to know one of the um, one of the Leslie students at the time who brought me into the scene. And it was just a really great feel of it was a it was a bar. It was a restaurant. There was a bunch of uh, young college students and recent grads out at that night. And the music was great. And I was not a dancer at the time. So pulling me in was pretty awesome. And then I started dancing there and I started to get to know the people. And eventually I um, just wanted to be more a part of the community. So uh, time goes on. I find out that there's dances almost every single night of the week in the Boston area. Right. And that was when I decided that like, it was so weird that I had been dancing for about a year at this point. And then I'm like, wait a minute, I can dance every night of the week. And I didn't know about this. So I asked around and I asked if a lot of other new dancers had the same problem and they all were 
aware of some of the dances, but not all of the dances. And so I decided to put a website together um, that just had all of this information on there. Um, and that was uh, X-Gen Boston. So if you search Boston West Coast Swing or West Coast Swing Boston, mm-hmm. my website will pop up and I'll have, uh, I think we have 15 or so venues and events and college clubs all on there and a calendar that can show you anywhere you can dance in that area. And that was kind of how I like really got involved in the collecting of information and working with all the venues. And I just wanted to, I just wanted to help out where I could. Um, and with my technical background, you know, making a website kind of made sense for me. Right. Um, but I, I started, you know, talking to all the venue runners and I was like, Hey, like, where can I help out? Like, what's the problem? Or if I saw a problem, like people not knowing where to go, I started a website and then uh, I started working with Neil Klein a lot. And he he just loved that, like, if I saw a problem, I just like, I'd suggest something like, hey, maybe we could do this. And he'd be like, that a great, that's a great idea. So we started working together for um, the Dancing Feats, which was the, the oldest running venue in Boston. Right. And we worked together for a few years on that. And then he decided that he wanted to let some of his things go and focus on more specific things. So he wanted to really focus his time on those Wednesday night dances mm-hmm. that were at the Fire and Ice, eventually moved to Masonic Hall. I think it's important to, I I think you should back up for a second, because I think it's important for people to uh, understand and recognize how influential uh, Neil Klein has been in that Massachusetts, Boston area. He's like, he's like the daddy or the grandfather of, of the area. He's done a lot for it. And so Deborah, you're actually the second person I've heard ever refer to him as the the grandfather of the Boston area, West Coast Swing. Yeah. He's done a lot in this area. Right. (laughs) <clears throat> and so he like, you know, he he really brought West Coast Swing to the New England area. He breathed the college life into it through his class. Um, you know, he he has 40, 40 students a year in this class. that have never heard of West Coast Swing before coming to this mm-hmm. class and potentially come dancing this community. And that that's really what what's really breathed a lot of life into our younger crowd. Mm-hmm. And um, so we worked together for the Dancing Feats for a little while. And I still help him out on Wednesday nights as well. And, um, we have, you know, anywhere from a hundred to 140 people on a Wednesday night, we have anywhere from a hundred to about 140 people on a, on a Saturday, uh, Saturday night though for the dancing feats as well. Mm -hmm. And he's recently passed the Saturday nights off to me. So now I have to, uh, coordinate with all the other dancers. So we have uh, a different Saturday night dance every Saturday night of the month. We have first, second, third, fourth, and then occasionally a fifth dance, we have Monday night dances, Tuesday night dances, a Thursday practice session, an occasional Friday dance. So we're just loaded with dances in the in the Boston area right now. I think also too we should you know recognize that uh, you know Swinging New England, which has now been around uh, for a very uh, long time, first started out as a Lindy Hop event, and that had a little bit of West Coast Swing, and it was Neil who brought the West Coast Swing flavor into swinging new england that he's the one that actually made that event you know pop in the massachusetts um area he's a he's an integral part of why uh there's so many college people involved in west coast swing and why so many people who are not college but older still keep coming back neil's part of that reason so it's good to yeah to to keep that in mind so you know Mentioning all of this, I want to know what this this goes to all three of you, obviously, uh, like what has been your approach, you know, to uh, building and growing community for either of you or all of you? Um, I guess my general approach regarding, you know, building the 
community, whether it's Swing Minnesota or even before I started Swing Minnesota and uh, with the Twin Cities community was um, to make sure to not. Um, hmm, let me take a step back. This is the naked truth. You can say whatever you'd like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, uh, I wasn't a very um, social person as a child. Uh, I grew up with not a lot of friends and not a lot of like freedom to participate in extracurricular activities. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, I am Asian, um, (laughs) but, uh, first generation Vietnamese. Um, so, you know, family priorities were, uh, a little bit different, a little bit probably more restrictive than a kid in America would probably typically want. Um, so at any point in time, I probably had, you know, two friends, which was great as a kid. I didn't think you needed any more. Um, <laughs> but that being said, I think once, even as an adult, you don't need that many too. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I guess more importantly, I didn't really have a community because I wasn't really um, active or a participant in anything else um, other than school and home. <laughs> so um once i discovered dance that was this wonderful new thing in my life and um i couldn't get enough mm. you know like i i had to i had to hold on to it as much as possible and i started dancing um in college doing different um doing like social ballroom and east coast swing and whatnot but um from that i started uh, convincing, persuading people to hang out and do friend things or go out to more dances, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so in regards to the dance community, um, swing a soda or otherwise, um, really my main goal has always been to approach it that it's about the people, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's, not about competition it's not about status it's certainly not about making money because i feel like anyone who does Gets into this. <laughs> right. should know that it's not about the money um but uh yeah so starting the community connecting with people um trying to create those opportunities of fun um but really so a handful of years ago i probably we had a kind of this like new wave of uh, serious young dancers coming up and you know they were getting very competitive and it was fun but it was also now competitive you know like them seeing their peers there was always some level of comparison and you know their joy of dance was somehow intertwined in with like a competition experience Um, and uh, I had like a critique session with them and, you know, or, or maybe it was like a coaching thing. Um, but we talked about competition and like what that does to people. Mm-hmm. And I talked about how, when I started, there was a solid wave going out to regional events and it was awesome. So, um, you know, we were traveling regionally. We probably had a group of, uh, 20 or so, you know, brand new dancers slash competitors 
and people were loving it. And within a few years, most all of them were gone. Because of the competition part of it? Right. Because, yeah. because it was so wrapped up in competition mm-hmm. that how they did would make or break how they felt about one, the dance and two themselves. Um, And so, you know, as I was doing this like coaching critique session with this newer group of dancers, I told them, I'm like, if you love this dance, it can't be about the competition. You know, it's, it has to be something more. Mm -hmm. And the most amazing thing happened like right after that, they all started making this really big effort to hang out with each other and like interact with each other and do things that weren't dance with each other. Connecting the biggest thing. Yeah. So, so people good. started, people started connecting and like enjoy being a part of something that was more than just whatever your placement right. was. And, um, I feel like as I have, started swing a soda and tried to like grow it and bring more people in. It's this wonderful, amazing thing where like the people that I had a hand in bringing into the dance are all having a hand in bringing the next set of people. So like we were kind of this like continuously fostering, right. Where everyone is really making sure to make a point to like interact with each other and treat people like humans and have it not be just about your dance or your dance level or your competitive level or just like having fun and having a good night of dance. Sometimes it's more about coming down. Yeah. It's making it inclusive, meeting people, talking to people, getting to know people. Um, So really long way of saying my approach to building the community has mostly just been about trying to focus on the people and make sure that um, everyone feels a part of it and everyone finds, uh, everyone gets to see what made me fall in love with this dance in the community. I love it. What about you, Jesse? Um, I was, I was a professional instructor long, long before I was a professional dancer. So, Mm. um, the overall approach that I have now has been influenced and, and is, is different. Although I love what you were saying, Hugh. Um, it's just, it's a little bit different. Um, my, my focal point on rebuilding our community has been, um, helping, helping to cultivate new dancers and get them connected and understanding what we're trying to, to connect to in the ballroom from an educational standpoint and, um, recalling or bringing back reconnecting to some of the previous people that I grew up inside of the scene with, uh, because, because like I said, there was a transition of management. So, um, there was Louie and company had brought uh, a group of dancers in, um, Chris and in Kyle Patel, Gayla Hoffman and Carrie Stewart and, and some dancers from the generation of, of learners of movers right before mine. Mm-hmm. And we were in a rather, isolated portion of the, of the country. And even within our community, we were dancing West coast swing and swing, uh, East coast swing at Louie and company, which was one studio. Um, and there were actually four other studios in the Kansas city area, kind of like Hughes community. I didn't know even 
as a three-year, four-year dancer. So did you not know about Swing Corps and and, um, the Kansas City Swing Dance Society and all that? You did not know about that, or you did? So so, uh, our studio owner was a little on purpose to keep our dancers separated from the rest Mm. of the community. So the first time I learned about Swing Corps was when Kyle Patel stopped by and just let people know that there was going to be this thing called Midwest Westie Fest. And, right. uh, I mean, it's going to be cool. People will be there. You should try it. It's got, it's got competition. And that was exciting for me. I, I had the opportunity to do what I've enjoyed doing on these Saturday nights, but in a competitive format. So I tried it. I really enjoyed it. Um, had a great time and felt a different version of West Coast Swing. So when I had the opportunity to kind of help start orchestrating the community, we were down to like six to 12 regular members. Our previous generation was no longer orchestrating the community, was was active maybe on a national basis, but not, not on a local basis. And so I started running the Thursday night dances at Milan, and right away we were uh, focusing on trying to help people understand not the summation of the dance, um, the sugar push, the left side pass, but rather the pieces that are going into that. Here's your equation pieces. And when you put them together, you'll end up with this pattern. Um, mm-hmm. So we were constantly evolving how we were trying to teach our new dancers to help them feel the dance faster, to help them feel each other and be successful at connecting with each other um, more efficiently. And, uh, over the years, that process is certainly refined. We're, we're getting better at it all the time. Um, and it's now getting carried out into other parts of the city. Um, but as part of that, we also had to show solidarity and start interconnecting with the other professionals in the area. Right. So, um, we have as a Kansas City group, um, been more active to support each other's dances. The, the leaders of the Tuesday night dance go to the Thursday night. That's great. Thursday night goes to the Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Saturday night goes to Tuesday. Um, and so we're, we're very active to help advertise for each other and let our community know of the educational opportunities, the community opportunities that are your responsibility to be at so that you can share that practice time with other people so that we can all get it. That's been our, our purpose. I think your, your biggest thing that you said that a lot of communities do not understand is uh, supporting each other and working together with one another, like promoting for one another and supporting each other. Like uh, North, the, the Bay Area in California does a really good job um, of that. But there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, fragmented uh, swing dance communities around uh, the country. And when when I hear like, you know, Eric talk about his community, and now you talk about, you know, your community. Uh, um, it's important for people to, you know, recognize that the, the more you work together, that's how you build community. So yeah, you know, it doesn't make yeah. it weaker process. You're stronger in, in numbers. It's more fun to have more people there. Sure. Um, certainly helps the, the osmosis effect of everyone learning how to dance with each other and, and feeling those bodies again. It's, it's important. It's important. We can't be successful on our own. We're not islands. It's a part right. of the dance. That's <laughs> a great way of saying that. So, so what about you, Kyle? What's, uh, what's your response to all of this and how you build and grow your community? So I really love the the position that I'm in in Boston because I get to be uh, loyal to everyone in different ways. Um, mm-hmm. I, I teach, I DJ, and I run my own dance. But my dance is only once a month, and we have weekly dances. 
So my, my goals have always been trying to figure out either through my journey, what I've found difficult and trying to fix those things or just having conversations with people and trying to address them that way. So, um, Music's a big thing, of course. I feel like that's always a topic in every community everywhere in the world. Um, and always trying to figure out like, well, there's there's this night and these people like this type of thing. And then there's these people on this other night who like this other type of thing, or at least that's what they're saying. And maybe there's a common ground and maybe just the words they're using are different. Mm-hmm. Um, and on as far as as far as the building the community goes, um, we we are a, a very saturated community as far as nights go. Um, but I am fortunate enough where I get to work with Neil Klein in his academic class at Leslie. And I right. actually get to work with these students from, from day one, which is super awesome. Um, I also get to help facilitate their growth and be like, hey, this is a new community. And these are these are the social norms of this community. So I've really tried to um, attack the how do how do these average people um, and I, I mean, like myself, I wasn't a dancer before right. I did West Coast Swing. Um, mm-hmm. So how do these average people come into a beginner class and how do they how do they perceive themselves and how do they get the jump from where they are to eventually where there's people at like all, I feel like our dance is full of just quote unquote average people who love this dance for a large number of reasons. I think that's part um, of all groups, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, for me personally, it was, uh, I had this huge problem for a number of years and I still struggle with it today of like, uh, how do, how do I identify myself? Because if anyone, if anyone in my community referred to me, they would refer to me as a dancer, but as a self identity crisis of like, uh, I was never a dancer for the first, you know, 23 years of my life. How can I identify as a dancer now? Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of, that kind of struggle. So the things like that I do with XGen where I make, um, I make the information available to people and I say, Hey, like maybe this night's not the best for you. Maybe this other night is going to be more your, more your thing. Maybe I'm not the instructor for you. Maybe some other instructor is, is more the person for you. And I try to, I try to develop it as a developing resources for these people so they can find the best path for themselves. Um, and I've also been doing a lot of work with, um, seeking feedback, whether that be having conversations with people or, um, on my dancing web, uh, dancing feats website or on my personal website, I'm always searching for feedback of like a, Hey, what do you love about this? What do you not like about this? Um, and honestly, I get, I get a lot of useful feedback just by starting con- conversations with people, especially if you see like they might be a little irritated with the music. I'll be like, well, why don't, why don't you like this music? Like, what are you looking more for? Mm-hmm. Um, and try to, I, I take all that information and fortunately as well, I, I know all of the venue runners in our area. I have some type of personal relationship with all of them. So I love to have conversation with them and say like, Hey, this is what I'm hearing. Like, what do you think? Or what do you, what are your goals for your night? Because the other thing is all of the venues that we have, there's so many of them. They all yes. have so, so different goals. Um, and it's really awesome. So whether it be the music goals or whether it be the teaching goals or whether it be what kind of, what kind of, uh, uh what kind of customer trying to get to your dance. Um, I just try to really understand all of that. And then, you know, whether I'm in a conversation with a beginner and they're looking for something, I can maybe help guide them to what they're looking for, or, um, maybe everyone's having the same problem. And I can be like, Oh, well, maybe we can address that either at my dance, or maybe I can talk to one of the event runners and see if they can help, help them produce the best kind of results for their customers. Right. Yeah, that's really great. And one of the things I remember that I loved about Boston was that 
one, there were a lot of places to dance, but the organizers did work together. Yes, they did. Constantly. They were always promoting. They were going to each other's dances. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a great environment to work in. And one of the things I want to point out for our listeners, too, that I just think is really interesting and, and part of the reason why we chose you three to join us on the show is that you're all working in very different environments. Right. Right. You're working in different um, communities, both geographically, but also in terms of their history and where you stepped in and started running and, and building communities. Um, here in the Bay Area, as Deborah mentioned, we have a lot of dancing and we have we have a huge geography. <laughs> yes. So, you know, I started Mission City Swing in San Francisco when there was no weekly dance in San Francisco, but there was dancing in North Bay, South Bay, East Bay. Um, and so my goals, I think, I think my approach was a little more similar to you, Jesse. And in, in um, if I can get people comfortable with dancing, um, and I think, it, you know, like he was talking about his own personal experience, my own personal experience, of course, influenced my approach, but my approach was seeing that burnout that you talked about, Hugh, where people get all into the competition and then they fizzle out for one reason or another. And so I wanted to build a place where it wasn't about competition, but where people could grow, um, grow their own abilities and, and have that experience of connecting with one another on the dance floor. And hopefully that would, like Mm -hmm. it did for me, extend to friendships off the dance floor. Um, so I'm curious, though, what each of you has done that you think has been really successful in growing your community, whether it's Swing of Soda or, you know, Jesse, you said you've really been rebuilding. Um, for instance, at Mission City, I I do think the way that I structure classes and, and have built the, the beginner program has really helped bring a lot of people, um, not just in, I have to admit, I actually, and this question came up. Um, at All-Star Swing Jam where Jesse and I are having this conversation and the question came up of like, how do you get so many people at Mission City Swing? And I'm like, I'm in a big metropolitan area with a lot of young people with disposable income. Like that was the best thing I ever did for my community. Um, I get a lot of people in the door, but then my goal is to... Keep them there. Right. So, yeah. so through education, you know, I think of community development in terms of attraction, retention and development. You know, how do we get them in the door? How do we keep them there? And how do we keep them going and growing? Mm-hmm. And... So the education program that I have at Mission City, I I think, um, has helped keep people there. But also a simple thing of putting the beginner class right before the dance. Yep. You know, so there's no gap when people say. So these are just some examples of how we might approach growing a community. And I'm curious to hear what each of you has done that you think has been really successful from sort of a tactical perspective, thinking that, you know, there are probably people listening, thinking about their own communities. So, Hugh, what have you done that? has really helped you to grow Swing of Soda. Um, and don't say the dinosaur. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, but branding... Good. But I like the dinosaur. Branding and a mascot definitely yeah, totally is part of the I, appeal. Yes, Absolutely. for sure. Um, <laughs> um, so when I started, you know, I think there was a pre-existing community that I already knew would come to the classes or the dances and whether it's small for the classes, but definitely for the dances, you know, we had these experienced dancers. And the question was for a person who didn't like dance as a business, um, didn't do this full time. Um, how did I want to get new people involved? Um, so I took a lesson or I, I, I took a, a line out of a lesson that I did with, 
uh, Kyle and Sarah. This was, I think, an advanced all-star workshop or something uh, at one of the Boston events. And I remember them talking about, you know, they were addressing how many people in the room were instructors. And they talked about how they would teach, you know, foundations or basics. Like if, you know, they were at some like European workshop that was like enormous and there was two ballrooms full of people and they were being projected in one room and they had to somehow teach so that these people would get West Coast Swing in an hour. And West Coast Swing is a hard dance. Yep. You know, every other you dance. You can teach it in an hour if you need to. <laughs> yeah. But West Coast Swing is a hard dance. Um, and so, you know, they, they talked about like keeping it uh, like fairly light on the technique in terms of, you know, where your foot goes, where and when and blah, blah, blah. And it's, you know, let's get across the general ideas of, feel and movement get people going get people feeling like they're dancing right um but the more important line that they that i got out of it was give it away like right you know like to start the dance give it away for free and then i think they followed it up with then charge up the ass for technique but right you know also because you know kyle and sarah come from you know the mentality of where where most of us in that generation mahars and my generation we we this dance started in a bar and when you go in a bar it's five bucks right it's five bucks or it's free or they give the free class away Mm -hmm. uh for free and then once they get hooked then charge them as much as you want right right Right. absolutely and so thinking about that i went through this like long evolution of how to get beginners coming um, where I started having, you know, the first week of, you know, a monthly beginner session be free where we would get, you know, 20 to 30 students. And then on week two, we'd get two or four. And I was like, Oh crap, we did something wrong. (laughs) And then the next month would happen and, you know, it would be the free first week and we'd get 20 to 30 people but a lot of them are the same ones from the last month. Mm-hmm. And I think I did it maybe another time before I started looking at it. I was like, what well, really is, is paying like 10 bucks for a class, like the big obstacle here that's stopping them from getting into West Coast Swing. Yep. Um, and uh, then I just started having free beginner months, like the entire month beginner classes for free um we did a lot of market research and we found that once you had the price of free the quantity went up way more um (laughs) what firm did you use for that (laughs) but isn't it also wouldn't you say it's safe to say that you know first first you want to get people hooked on it so so you make it free for a month and if they're really serious about it and they really love it after a month then they won't they won't mind paying Ten dollars for it, and, right? And this is this was kind of the mindset. the The idea here that one, the dance is hard, um, and you know, it took us probably six months or so before we realized that we had to structure this so that the dance was immediately after the beginner workshop or beginner beginner class, because otherwise they were never going right. to stick around. Give them a solid opportunity to learn the dance to love the dance, to get hooked on the dance. 
then even as a business, as a person who doesn't want to think about it from the business side, but if they love it, they'll stay. Right. And at least for me, that initial hurdle of getting a person to love the dance and feel comfortable with the dance in one class, even with the dance afterwards, was super hard. So um, being able to create, uh, being able to have an environment where a bunch of beginners would come in, whether brand new to dancing or from other dances, or encouraging a lot of our existing community to come into the class um, to, you know, help fill out the class and help people like feel more comfortable with it and do the dance. We created an environment where people could feel good coming into a beginner class, dancing with other, uh, other dancers of all levels, immediately following into a dance. And then after a month, they get hooked. And then they Which want is basically to the bar mentality. The bar mentality is you, you, you try to get them on, on the dance floor. And usually in bars, classes are a half an hour. They're not mm-hmm. even an hour. It's They're 30 minutes. Yeah. Right. So you got to get them out there dancing in 30 minutes. You know, right. push pass and push pass. We don't even teach a whip. But if you get them hooked, they'll come back. Right. Absolutely. Right. And so I guess my biggest thing here was... Uh, to help grow my community, I just wanted to reduce as many obstacles as possible to make it the easiest thing possible for them to get in and then, and then come see, back and see what, see what we all love right. about the dance. Right. Right. Yeah. I did something similar in, in having like, uh, if, if you're totally new to West Coast Swing, it's just five bucks for the night. Mm-hmm. You know, come take the, try the lesson and then, if you want, you can, you can get a monthly pass. So all four or five weeks, depending on the month for just for half off. So it was 25 bucks. Mm-hmm. And so for 25 bucks, you get a whole month, you know, and people here, I'm in San Francisco. So people will spend whatever, 150 bucks for like five yoga classes. Right. So it's, I mean, it's a different pay scale, but, um, but that same idea of like removing the barriers, the financial barriers, at least. I also, barriers. Um, I also yeah. think a good idea for instructors who, to, like if you have a weekly dance and you do, you teach two classes, you teach a beginner class and, and say an intermediate class, I, I encourage my intermediate dancers to stay in the beginner class. We give the, we give the intermediate dancers the class for free because it helps yep. the, the beginners. It also helps them, it encourages them. Um, and it also allows the intermediates to work on their stuff, on their basics. So that's a good way to pull. And it in. also introduces the beginner dancers to, to the, intermediates. the more experience. So when the dance right. starts, they aren't freaked out by these people. Right. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. Right. Jesse, how about you? And well, in a huge way, um, uh, being focused on using the kinetic language that we're working on, it's uh, it's your language from someone who natively speaks it. If you're surrounded in that environment, so absolutely the um, power of giving your more high your higher level dancers access to that the newer class for free and then making sure they know it's their responsibility um, helps that social connection helps their own dancing but it for sure gives the new dancers the chance to learn from the bodies of the old dancers right to feel what's going on and it it, it bridges the gap between um, beginner and intermediate because you know beginners have a hard time you know saying hi or asking uh, people to to dance right so it's kind of like the intermediates become like or even advanced uh, we make them like the ambassadors for, for the younger dancers. 
Well, and like Kyle was saying earlier, there are tons of people who we would consider to be intermediate or advanced dancers in our local, from at least from our local community's perspective, who don't think of themselves that way. They still get nervous asking people to dance leader, follower, irrelevant, uh, gender irrelevant. There are so many different barriers to the idea of having to ask someone to hold your hand. (laughs) Right. Um, That it's a great way to bridge that gap, especially with, uh, with lots of rotations. Sure. Um, uh, that structure is a big part of meetings behind, behind the Kansas City community, uh, making sure that always, always our, our newest level class is the one right before the dance. But at this point, before the Thursday night dance, at least for my scene, the, the part of it that I control, um, we now have four leveled classes and you have to test your way through the classes in order to get there. We uh, have a dividing curtain. We run two simultaneous classes mm-hmm. um, at seven o'clock, eight o'clock with the nine o'clock party. And so newcomers have a track of progression where they see that with four newcomer classes and a little bit of luck, you can make it into the novice classes. Novice classes, eight weeks later, that's all it's going to take. You can be in that intermediate level where you really start to dig into mm-hmm. some great stuff. Um, there was a lot of resistance in transitioning the community into that over these last three years. Uh, but the overwhelming feedback from it has been that people feel um, better about what they've learned and that mm. they're able to track it. They know, mm. they know what it is that they've been learning and um, are able to not only reproduce it physically, but, but dialogue about it or, or write it down. We have written tests that they take and to know that they can, they can construct that as a mental thought as well as a physical action gives mm-hmm. them a different confidence in, in talking about swing dancing with people and encourages um, conversation inside of the ballroom. We're currently experimenting with adding um, different layers to our social dance because uh, constantly working on what we can do better. And one of the critiques that we receive is that um, the Thursday night dancing tends to be focused on really good dancing or even competitive dancing um, as opposed to uh, to just being there, having fun and, and being with people. So we, are they saying this, they mean this about the social dance aspect of it? That uh-huh. it's, that well, is, I don't think that's anything that you can uh, control. If there are more advanced intermediate dancers there than there are beginners or novice newcomer, that's the way they're going to feel. That's, that's how it's going to end up. But for as much inclusivity as I can that's different. Um, yes. have, for that, um, we're we're definitely experimenting with with what we can do from a personal responsibility side of people feeling like um, as experienced dancers that they have a a need to go and orchestrate the inclusion of of these newer dancers to ask them to dance to ask them their yes. name to introduce yes. them to people. Um, as part of that, we've been leaving out uh, games like board games, little card games and stuff on the tables that people can do if they don't feel comfortable dancing or don't want to dance right away. Um, we're extending the hours of our dance so that people don't feel like they have to get their dancing in that hour and a half, two hour block. Cause otherwise it's a whole nother week, at least in my community until they get to have a, a social again. So have you thought about doing, um, cause I've done this before in my classes when I used to teach, uh, in Boston as well as California, you can either do the, the, the mixer, the social where, 
you know, every couple of like, I don't know, every 30, 40 seconds, you say switch partners or you do the, the stroll that, you know, the Dallas shuffle, the continental <laughs> stroll where yeah. kind of like soul train, this guy's on one oh. side, follows on the other side. You go walk, 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 clap, walk, 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 clap. First couple comes in and they dance down the line. And then the second couple comes in just to bring people Absolutely. together. Absolutely. That waterfall can be a lot of fun. And we've done, we've experimented with versions of that. We don't have a consistent one that we use. Uh, I'll say at the Tuesday night dances that Hugo and Stacy run out in Florida, district dance, their new studio. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a, a big circle and then they right. kind of rate it and they right. have everyone switch partners over the course right. of the song, just line of dance. Um, and a lot of those can be really powerful. We do a steel dance to open and close the night. Um, and so I teach steel dancing every once in a while at the, uh, at whatever point inside the community, just so that people can feel comfortable moving in and out of a couple. Sure. Um, and then the whole community does a steel dance and we call that out every 30 or 40 seconds. But, um, but we don't have a one specific mixing pattern that we use. We do give community announcements halfway through the night as do the other dances in the area. Yeah, everyone does that for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we, we try to share things about, you know, the, the, the personal responsibilities you have to ask people to dance and, and to include yourself and to say hi, cause we're all here cause we love dancing and, and we talk about the other events in the area. Um, but that, I think that was the only other point that I wanted to make about the, the growth and development of our scene is that when, when, when I started, our, my very first Thursday night dance had seven people at it. <laughs> um, and so we've run, um, versions of, of free entry programs, um, from the newcomers always getting free to the newcomers getting free once a month or, or, um, um on your birthday, you get in free, your whole right, birthday, right. And for whatever. And the one that we've settled on right now that we're using is actually a referral based program, a one for one program. So if you bring somebody, right, new, you get in free, then you get in free. They, they pay, but they're right. basically they're paying your way in to try and, and people can chain that for a whole group to come sure. in for $10. But, um, that's, that's been the biggest way to attach people. And so I would encourage, uh, developing studios, developing communities out there to try and find a referral program that works for their area, that gives a reward to their current dancers for going out of their way and exposing their safe place to the world and saying, oh my gosh, I I dance or um, you should dance too, because that can be as scary as asking someone to dance in the ballroom. Um, But hopefully that makes it worth the risk of inviting a coworker or inviting a friend or family member. Yeah. That kind of organic growth has been the number one thing that has grown the San Francisco community. Um, It's, you know, we ask on a registration form when they sign up, how did you hear about us? And 90% of the time it's referral. Yeah. You know, somebody had a good time either in class or dancing or both. And then they told friends. So I think, yeah, I think the referral program um, is a great idea. And I, I agree with you, Jesse. I think, that because uh, it's part of my strategy too is is to have a sense of progression i feel like people start we talked about this with divi too where people sort of hit a right. point in their learning curve where they they start realizing what they don't know and they feel like they don't know how to move forward and they start losing interest and i think it's great that you've built out a program that keeps people going and knowing where they're going um we also do a demo at the end of fundamentals like of our beginner class where we 
show them what they're learning in practice, but it also exposes them to what's possible mm-hmm. as a way of being like, hey, there's more to learn and more that you will be able to do if you stick with class. And right? that's kind of like, <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> next week, you're going to do another pass, but still, <laughs> in two years, you'll do this. Anyway, um, yeah, all great stuff to incentivize people. Kyle, how about you? What have you been doing or what have you learned um, about? Uh, what's been successful in growing the community at Dancing Feats? So Boston um, has uh, not had, uh, especially in recent years, has not had much of an issue of um, building up the community. Um, we What we've done uh, really right is started with the colleges. You know, we have so many colleges in the area. Um, we're not in all of them, but we're in, a, you know, a handful and, uh, you know, it started with Leslie and now um, a solid chunk of our Wednesday night dancers are from Leslie. And we've recently, you know, uh, added BU and Northeastern and Tufts. And a lot of these places start out with ballroom um, clubs. And then we get one or two of their people to come out and try West Coast Swing. And sometimes they love it. And sometimes they'll bring it back to, to their club and bring out their friends um, but honestly, just having a handful of people, at each of those colleges, and we've only, you know, scratched the surface in Boston with, you know, four colleges, um, so far that we've gotten, um, Neil Klein is, uh, again, pushing, uh, yeah, he, yeah. um, not only was he the professor at Leslie, but he's starting this, this U swing organization. Um, and they're trying to get into, um, all of the colleges, um, you know, the, the sky's the limit on that one, but, um, they want to get swing into the college level across, across the nation. And, you know, once you get the college students, they bring their friends at other colleges or they bring, um, they bring this out post college and then they bring their coworkers. Um, and that's kind of, uh, what's been super successful in Boston. So as far as, a new people in, um, that's kind of been our bread and butter. Um, I've, um, again, had the opportunity to work with the Leslie students. Um, my, my partner, Elizabeth Lloyd is very involved with Leslie and she's kind of the point of contact for a lot of those colleges. Um, so she's been, uh, she's been super helpful in just getting the, getting the people who, um, are the heads of those clubs involved. Um, then getting them out to, of course, Wednesday nights. And then once they're at Wednesday nights, they hear about the other dances and things just kind of grow from there. Um, I, I think it's, I think you should, you know, reiterate about how important, you know, without Neil, I don't think, I don't think we'd have all those colleges because he was the first one to involve colleges in West Coast Swing. And when he first did it, Leslie was an all girls school. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Neil's been uh, such a such a huge part in every development of the Boston community, and actually my my personal development. Neil took me under his wing very early on, and I had no idea why. But um, he's he's just been like a father figure to all of the yeah. West Coast Swing community, and he's uh, he's super nurturing in his dance and all of the dancers that come through. Right. And he does he does so much for this community. We cannot thank him enough for. Um, and he, um, he, the, the best part is, is like, he's been around for so long and he's so open to, to new ideas. Um, and you know, I, I worked with him for a long time and I started dancing for for a while and it's, um, you get to a point 
in local communities. And then it's like, you're not really sure like where to go. And then I, everyone's kind of talked about it. It's like, how do you, how do you develop from there? And Neil's been super, um, super open to new ideas. So we didn't always have the scheme that Jesse was talking about, but we've eventually transitioned to the same scheme where we start off with a beginner class and you stay through, you know, stay through a month and you go on to the intermediate class and then you stay through, you know, two months. And then you learn, you have a very specific schedule of, this week, this is what the topic is. So you know that you learn this topic. And once you know all of these topics, then you're ready to go on. And that was, I just asked Neil a question one day. And I was like, so in the advanced class, like, how do you know that these students coming into your class have these skill sets? And he he just didn't have an answer to answer for me. And I was like, well, wouldn't it be great if we had this, had the, this, like, System. these are the skills you're going to learn. Yeah. Um, and that's what we've developed. And I think everyone really enjoys it just because they know exactly what to expect. They know what they're going to get out of it. Um, and pretty much everyone in the area has, has come to some kind of terms with that. Um, but we always throw these ideas <laughs> out like beginner and intermediate and advanced. And like, what do those mean? Um, at an event that's very different and at, at local venues, that's very different. So the, the better, the better we can get, the better we can get our information to our dancers in a clear way, the more that they can, you know, find their own success, um, in their own journeys. Yeah. And I think two things that I would, um, comment on one is reaching out to universities is Huge. great when, when there are universities and even here in the Bay Area. Um, I worked with uh, Cal Berkeley through Annie Lockmiller, who was a student there. And Shauna um, Bakari works down at San Jose State. And mm-hmm. it's been a great way to get young people and, and keep infusing the scene with new dancers. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I started Mission City Swing, and like you, Jesse, we had like 10 people showing up. And I'm in San Francisco, so they were all dudes. <laughs> so it was like I've always had more leaders. Even we just did a workshop weekend this past weekend, and we had extra leaders. Um, Which is rare. So we, yes, very yeah. rare. Um, but we've always had that that problem. But um, yeah, I reached out to, you know, uh, I, I went out salsa dancing and met some salsa dancers. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we'd go out to a blues bar and, West, you know, do Westy dancing. Like, there are lots of ways that people can go out and try and and find new people who might see this thing that you're doing and be interested in it. Um, the other thing that I wanted to point out is that a common theme amongst all of you is the idea of experimentation, you know, and continually learning and adapting. So you, you know, Hugh, you tried doing the free thing and you tried it different ways before you kind of landed on how to do it. Or, you know, Jesse trying to figure out different ways of, of doing the, the referral program, right? So I think it's important that people who want to develop their community um, don't get set or stuck, but continue to be open to new ideas and try new things, Right. especially over time as your community evolves. And remember, communities are different and what may work in one community may not go over so well in yours, which is why you have to keep trying different things to see which works best for your community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's important. Um, what, what would you say, you know, the biggest challenges you've encountered in, you know, running a community and building a community? Kyle. So for ours, um, there's just, there's so many things going on and there's so many moving parts all the time. Um, and like, it's, it's not a problem talking to everyone and organizing with everyone, but, um, especially cause we have a lot of, we have this, like this second generation, of people in the last 
three to five years or so have been coming up and becoming really successful in the stands. And um, everyone kind of wants to, you know, leave their mark and contribute and help the community. But the problem is when you have a dance every night of the week, you can't start something new without stomping on someone's toes. Mm. Um, And so it's just kind of um, playing the game of like, who can you talk to or who can you partner with? And what, um, how can I, how can I start something that someone else isn't already doing? And Mm -hmm. how can I, how can I do something that's unique for me? And so what I've tried to do um, in um, in the the Saturday night dance that I run is just try to figure out, well, what are what are some of my favorite aspects of other communities? What are my favorite aspects of events? And what don't I have that I love about those? And then, of course, that kind of goes back into um, I, I've revamped my website and I plan to do more so and always seeking feedback. And actually, what I've what I've recently added is I um, I request feedback from everyone and I do a drawing every month of people who um, who have submitted feedback. And um, I, that person, whoever gets drawn, gets into the lessons, into the dance for free for the next month. Oh, that's and great. so not, not only just seeking feedback, but also rewarding people who do give feedback, um, both right. positive and negative. I just want to hear it all. And, um, and really just trying to figure, like really just listening to what my people want. Um, and I oh, think it always kind of comes word. back to <laughs> that word again. I, I, listening to what my people want. <laughs> and I think it just always comes back to that because at the end of the day, they're paying customers and how can I make them happier? How can I make them more willing to be happy with their investment? Because at the end of the day, I think it just comes down to, I can spend this money in my pocket on this thing or something else. And right. we're, I want people to leave leave with a thought that I'm so happy that's what I got for this money. And I, or I it, rather than I can't believe I spent that much on this. Um, and it's always, it's always to me, it's like, what kind of value are you getting out of it? So it's always comes down to finding, finding how people can get more value, what they're paying for. Um, and then of course, like I said, just coordinating with the, with the umpteen different venues that are doing other things. (laughs) What about you, Jesse? Uh, Kyle, I just want to say, I love, I love what you're laying down there about, about the value and, and the importance of, of treating it like it's a business, though it is community growth. But how can we how can we serve our clients is is such an important development. Definitely one of the biggest things that's helped with my personal challenges on that side was reading uh, the book called The E Myth. It's um it's a, a business development book about the entrepreneurial spirit and the ideas of we're gonna make a business work because we're passionate instead of because we're organized and consistent and can deliver right. the same value every time. Consistent. And so that was a, that was a really big, um, that was a really important read for me. Um, because what I struggle with as a person is what my business struggles with, um, which is organization and consistency of, uh, social media updates. Um, and, and I think a big part of that has to do with, uh, you know, uh, the, the, those, that you teach are going to deal with the same issues that we're dealing with as an instructor. So if your shoulders are always up, I know Deborah, I'm working on it. If your shoulders are <laughs> up, then, then your students will have, have, have lifted shoulders. You got to work on, on your personal depression so that they can um, be consistent in that as well. It's like and anything so, else. If you're going to be a teacher, you got to work on your stuff. If you're going to like, be a life coach, right? You can't tell, ask people, 
to do things if you're not going to do it yourself, right? Absolutely. The dance is evolutory by nature, and thus its community and its community organizers have to be as well. And so um, as as I've worked on this swing community, the organization with which I am able to consistently let people know this is the date that it's happening or or this is the cost that it's going to be or um, this is when I will get the next level test or the new edition of the test to you or whatever the case may be um, has been one of the most important things to stay concentrated on because people feel better when they feel communicated with even if it's not news that they want to hear just mm-hmm. just having the consistency of, of that communication and that organization to be able to tell them that you'll have what you need by this date or by this time um, and then on the social media side it's huge it's a huge means by which um, we can communicate with people about what we're doing I've had so many dancers find us through uh, some of the pictures taken by our local photographer, Shelby Brokaw, who does a great job on the Thursday nights. Um, and they see that online or they do a Google search and find that there's dancing on a Thursday night. So they'll come in. Um, but I know that so many more people would be caught in that interweb space <laughs> if um, if I did a better job at, at keeping that updated. So. I've pretty heavily relied on a team of dancers in the area who want to help, um, who want to be involved uh, to overcome that because bigger vision is kind of my strong suit and thus some of the details are not. Yeah, I get where you're going with that. I I feel like um, to me that's a struggle. Like social media is a huge struggle for me. mm -hmm. Like I'm good at like posting quotes and all that stuff, but social media as far as my classes are concerned or where I'm going to be is, is such a huge struggle because you have to stay on top of it because yeah. people are in their phones 24 seven. And I just don't want to be in my phone 24 <laughs> seven. So I understand your struggle with that. What about you, Hugh? Um, wow. So listening to Jesse and Kyle talk about their stuff, I'm like, wow, you guys are way more like, methodical and uh maybe properly looking at this in terms of how to run it like a business so that it uh prospers and grows um (laughs) for the most part uh you know i mean i think for the most part i've just been constantly talking about like uh doing it for the people and connecting and whatnot and um but at which point regarding the challenges that i've had in my community um Apparently, when you have free classes, bringing in people isn't that big a deal. Um, but the the big things that I've had to deal with are, have been pertaining to inclusivity, um, which is which is tough because mm. you you can't control people. Mm. Um, so there is there is two aspects of it. One is um being inclusive and welcoming to newer dancers or even just people from out of town if they're coming in and you know no one knows them i think by default we uh we we gravitate towards the familiar faces the people that we know you know this happens when you go to a dance event too you know you're first going to see that face that you already know mm-hmm. um and so how do we make these new people, whether it's new to dancing or new to our community, 
um, feel comfortable, um, feel welcomed, um, and to love it the way that we do. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the other aspect that I'm probably still struggling with, um, which I believe you guys recently had a conversation on this, uh, and I feel it pertains to ageism. Mm -hmm. Um, we have a lot of that. Right. So, um, Amongst the three communities, uh, the one that I specifically run, Swingasota, is probably in general um, the the younger community, the you know college aged until um, uh, you know mid to late twenties, which officially makes me old in my own community. <laughs> that uh, feeling, I'm an old guy in my own place. <laughs> um. So, so those have been hard, um, hearing from, you know, hearing from people in the other, the other two communities, um, the Twin Cities Rebels and the Minnesota West Coast Swing Men's Club. If they, if someone like hears about Swing of Soda and they like ask about, you know, like hearing two other people talk about it, like one person's like, oh, what's this Swing of Soda thing? And then the other person says, oh, I hear that's only for the young people. All right, so let me, I'm going to make a suggestion here um, mm-hmm. uh, because some, sometimes people project how they're feeling um, mm-hmm. about themselves, right? Because Absolutely. we have to recognize that the Twin City Rebels and the Minnesota Swing Dance Club, which I've worked for um, mm-hmm. the Twin City Rebels many times. I've never worked for the Minnesota Swing Dance Club, but I, but I, but I know both um, clubs. And I think, I think it's important like for you – so that because they're projecting saying, oh, it's only for young people, because maybe they, they've come to the dancers or have been around the dancers and they just don't feel welcome. And maybe there, there needs to be like a, a moment where you take your younger group and say, hey, let's go to Twin City Rebels and hang out with them. And, and, and you invite also the Twin City Rebels and say, hey, we'd like you to come and intermingle, you know, with us. And we'll give you like, I don't know, five dollars off, ten dollars off and find a way to integrate the two communities because honestly, even without the dance, we have ageism in the world. It's right. just right. And, Absolutely. and, and, and I, I think we have more of it now than maybe say, or maybe it's just how I feel more of it now than like when I was growing up, because when I was growing up, all I wanted to do was hang out with the older people. I wanted to dance with the older people. I wanted to talk to the older people because they were wiser and more, more experienced. Um, mm-hmm. And they had amazing stories uh, to, to tell. And I think now we're, you know, we, we're, we're kind of in a society where we don't, we don't value the older um, generation and, and, they, and they feel like they're an afterthought. So I, I make sure that I make an announcement every, after all of my classes are done, whether it's in my regular workshop classes at, at events or my weekly classes at home, I always say, let's not forget why we do this because it's fun. I said, let's not be elitist and only stay in our little group. Let's try to intermingle with other people. It's very important. And, you know, be kind to everyone. Kindness will get you a lot. I, I think we need to educate people more on, on how to be on how to be humane and to, and to work with humanity because we live in a society that's very technologically based. Everyone's in their phone. 
Nobody really picks up the phone anymore to talk to anyone. Everyone texts. So dancing is a community that's built upon uh kinesthetics and touching each other and looking at one another. It's very physical, yet we live in a society that's nothing like that. So we have to retrain humanity. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. So I think talking about it more will help. Right. I think that's true. I think that I know for me personally, I wouldn't assume that people aren't being kind because what Hugh says resonates with me too because I have... Yeah, but I just, what you're saying resonates with me because I also have a very young community and I have older dancers who will come and check it out. And, you know, the goal is to make sure they have a good time, right? right? That they, that they feel welcome and that they belong. That said, I've had a couple of them say, you know, I said, they, they're leaving for the night. How was your, did you have a good time? How was the dancing? Oh yeah, I had fun. But inevitably, there's almost always the comment of, wow, I, this is a young crowd, <laughs> you know, like, and, and sometimes when we're talking about um, diversity and inclusion, say, in a workplace, right? Um, this, I have a friend who works on this issue at a, at a Corn Ferry, which is a consulting firm. And there's this whole study that looks at how, you know, you need a critical mass yeah, for people to not feel like the outsider. Right. And mm-hmm. that can be really hard if the people who keep coming in drips, you know, they all see and they say, oh, well, that's that's a young community. I don't belong there. It's not for me. Um, so I know, Hugh, that you have organized people to go to Rebel- Rebels, like mm-hmm. they'll organize a dinner and then people go out to Rebels. Um, so getting back to your challenge of of making sure older dancers feel welcome or that you don't have that brand, what have you tried to do to to bridge that gap? Right. Well, I mean, I think number one, and this existed before swing of soda was a thing. Um, mm-hmm. I tried to, I tried to, uh, be that dancer, you know, be the inclusive, like connect with everyone kind of dancer. Um, uh, you know, I teach and I DJ for all three groups and during all, I go to all of the social dances as you know, if I am in town, I will be at, uh, you know, a social dance. Um, so, and I try to dance with everyone there. I try to be that role model. Um, that probably stems from the fact that when I started, I definitely remember how it felt to be the person that people didn't want to dance with or didn't Mm -hmm. interact with. Um, and so just a general word of warning, uh, to the world, people remember that stuff and it Of course they do. So, um, don't, don't be that person to other people. Um, and so that's, that's been like a big thing for me, you know, regardless of my role in the community, I never wanted other people to feel that way. Um, so, you know, I, before I was part of swing soda, I was very proud of the fact that, um, I was kind of this independent person involved with every community. Um, you know, each of the sub communities in the twin cities, um, which I find interesting. I want you to explain something because I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, that there's a side of you that you're a little shy, Hugh. I am. Yeah. I'm absolutely super shy. Yeah, you're you're a little shy, <laughs> yet you found a way to um, make yourself known, connect with people. And we, we do have a lot of people who are shy in this community. So what advice would you give someone when they're feeling you know, that way when they're like kind of alone and they don't really know how to navigate the room. Like, what would you say to them? 
That's a super good question. Um, <laughs> He's too shy to answer. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> you know, because for me, it's hard to understand that, that. I mean, I recognize shy people, but I'm I'm not generally a shy yeah. person, right? Um, so when I, when I see a shy person, I immediately gravitate to them. I'm like, come on, you know, let's go. And they obviously think I'm a crazy person because I'm very you know, outspoken and outgoing. And some people get traumatized <laughs> by, by me going, Hey, come on, you know, let's go. So like, again, like what advice would you give to someone who's feeling that way? Like, how did you overcome it? What did you do? Um, I, I guess that's, there's probably like two sides to this. Um, one in terms of how I was raised, uh, my my parents were the kind of parents who, if I had a reporter presentation, you know, they would uh, make me give that presentation to them at home multiple times and like prepare me on how to formally present. Um, I was much, much, much better at interacting with my teachers and with the parents of my uh, peers than with my own peers. Right, um, right, right, right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, from the perspective of like organizing or being formal or kind of being like gung ho, taking charge of a situation that was probably easier than um, more so like connecting with people uh, on like a, a, a peer level, on a one to one level. Um, but then past that, uh, again, Dance was this wonderful thing for me that essentially introduced happiness into my life. Um, at least a very different kind of happiness than I'd experienced um, in my first 18 years of life. Right. Um, and in general, I, I guess I just found that once I found something that I loved, um, it was easier. Mm. You know, like it's easier to engage and to work. Yeah. I just got all warm inside. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I just got all fuzzy and warm inside. You made me tear up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, you know, when, when I have other like shy people in my community, um, you know, I take a few moments to try to like sit and connect and chat, make sure people, uh, get their dances in. But, um, I, I have a, whenever we do like a new beginner class or whenever someone asks me about, you know, words of advice going to their first dance event or something, um, I always want to give them like a few reminders. Uh, one that, um, that if you want to dance with someone, dance with them, ask them to dance we all started somewhere. Right. Um, you know, it's very easy to walk into this dance, this very intimidating dance floor to see people doing moves and patterns and, uh, steps that you're like, I have not learned that. That was nothing that I had learned. What is this dance that they're all doing? Um, but also breaking into the social barrier too. Cause you see people in like clumps, right? Like hanging out together and all those right. things. I think that's what makes it harder, you know, for people to navigate, right. Right. which makes, which, which is kind of an oxymoron because the whole point is community, right? right. To being together. Right. And it's hard and, to break into that. 
and you know we're all constantly creating our own communities and so that's that other bit and i touched on that before that whole the fact that we we gravitate uh to the familiar you know we look around a room and we see the faces of our friends the people that we grew up dancing with or that person that we like you know had that awesome dance with every single time we've danced with them in the last year or what whatever you know right. whatever it is um but i guess i make it a very big point to make it clear to people that you know, aside from the fact that we all started somewhere, um, that even though, and I think it's important to make it personal at this point, yeah. even though that I might gravitate to look for a familiar face, um, I always will want to dance with you. Mm. Like, I'm the same way. No, gotcha. one, no one will ask me to dance like even if I was on my way to like ask my friend who I haven't seen for like two years to dance, if you, you know, catch me on my way and you ask me to dance, I 100% want to dance with you. Mm -hmm. Like the, there's no question, no issue. We, we do this because we love, we love dancing. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's, it's hard, it is um, hard. but we've all been there. Um, I'm still there. I, I'm still, I still go to events and see people and I'm like, I don't know if I should ask them to dance or they seem busy. They seem tired. I'm going to leave them alone. <laughs> you know, like it, it happens at all stages. And we just have to remember that one, they're all people. They're all human, right? They're all human. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, if we remember that they are just like us, then it's, it's okay. It's easier. Um, right. So, uh, so I, I, I think I try to communicate that across, um, with my community. We will continue this conversation in next week's episode. So stay tuned. If you want to share your thoughts and reactions with us, you can post a comment on our website, you can respond to our posts on Facebook, or you can share your thoughts in our discussion group on Facebook. You can also email Deborah and me through our site at thenakedtruthwcs.com or through our Facebook page. To get the latest news, you can like our page on Facebook, subscribe to our newsletter, follow us on Instagram at thenakedtruthwcs, or join the 38 people who already follow us on Twitter at nakedtruthwcs. Don't forget, you can buy some stylish swag at our online store. Just go to the NakedTruthWCS.com forward slash store to buy yours today. We can ship it to you, or we can get it to you at an upcoming event. Also, if you see us at an event, ask us for a shirt. We'll have some on hand. Again, that's the NakedTruthWCS.com forward slash store. And if you haven't already, of course, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and a number of other podcast hosting platforms. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review on Facebook. And if you're on iTunes, please rate us and give us a review over on iTunes. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Eric. And I'm Deborah. And that's The Naked Truth. My Spider-Man is definitely the most full-on costume that I have. Uh, but at my house, I also have two replica Captain America shields and like a movie accurate, like Mjolnir hammer and an arc reactor. Uh, I've heard about your, your obsession with <laughs> comics in your house. Yeah. I'm Dang. definitely a big kid. So I have I okay. But I got to ask, you have two shields. 
I have two. So that means you had one and you said, no, no, I need another one. I actually <laughs> uh, needed to get my roommate to convince me not to get a third one. So um, <laughs> what does one do with two? Shoes? I know what do you do with three. I mean, I, I'm a little bit confused what you do with one. So <laughs> not being a real superhero. So what do you do with like two extra ones? Uh, so the first shield that I have is a fiberglass stunt replica from the first Avengers movie. So, uh, that one was much more expensive and it's like, it's, it's a perspex replica of what he used during the action scenes. Um, so that being said, it can be dented, it can be damaged and it cost me like, I think around $700. So I let's take that out. (laughs) Are you Uh, out of here? mind <laughs> uh, um so the other one <laughs> it's like a hundred dollar replica that's, that's made good. of plastic and so that's more of me my, my like going out my everyday out, yeah, yeah my, my everyday shield. night on the town okay. <laughs> and so then there was another one that i think was like two to three hundred dollars that was like uh like metal replica of the hundred dollar one so it was like the high-end hundred dollar one but it wasn't like you know a movie spec this one very intriguing to me that you have three three shields i had to want to get a third one and you could explain the differences between the two shields and why you would use one shield over the other <laughs> well, this also, is even more so i i feel like as a good example um the day that i got that really uh the movie replica one i had it delivered at work and as i took it out immediately someone threw something at me (gasps) (laughs) and and i blocked it successfully and that was nice but if i'm gonna have people throwing crap at me it's not gonna be on the like seven hundred dollars that can be damaged except the seven hundred dollar one is probably stronger or is it not it is but Still, if it had a dent in it, I wouldn't be a big fan of it. You know, like I wouldn't be happy about that. Seven hundred dollars for a shield. Yep. For the love of God, do you know what you can buy? Seven hundred dollars. Seven hundred McChickens. 